Thank you for your presence here today. It does minister comfort and encouragement to the family. Sometimes you don't know how much it means to people just to see you here, to know that you care. We all were taken by surprise. I think shock would be a better word when we heard of the heart attack and the uh, sudden death of our brother Kevin Coy a week ago today. I went to the hospital. Pastor Ken Harmon of Grace Bible Fellowship arrived about the same time that I did in the par parking lot and we came in and, and um, ministered as best we could to the family who were all in shock as we were and as many of you were. Even some who were coming in today uh, said, what, what took his life? I didn't know. I just heard that he had passed into eternity. Well, it was a heart attack. And it was uh, unexpected because from the information I received, he'd never had any diagnosis of heart problems whatsoever. So he was recovering from back surgery and doing well. And then just like that. Went quickly. The Lord took him. And um, he's rejoicing. And we're rejoicing for him. But we're still dealing with the loss. A great loss to all of us. And especially to the family and to Bonnie. Kevin Russell Coy, age 64, went home to be with the Lord on Saturday, August 26, 2023. He was born in Hammond, Indiana, to the late Edwin Russell and Henrietta Zeldin Rust Coy. He was a husband of 38 years to Bonnie Gay Persons Coy, who survives. In addition to his wife, he is survived by his son, Ryan Wayne, and wife Jennifer Marie, and daughter Kara, and husband Seth, grandchildren Milo, and Lee, and Jude, and Weston, nephew B.J. Bauer, niece Rachel Bauer, and preceded in death by his parents and a sister, Barbara Bauer. We have been praying that the Lord will minister his grace to your hearts during this service. And let's go to the Lord just now in prayer. Father, we have come to remember the life of Kevin Coy that you have given to him and that you sustained these 64 years. And we remember him with great gladness and joy and thanksgiving. And we give to you the honor, knowing that you are the one who gave him life and you are the one who gave him new life in Christ. And you are the one who worked in his life and made him such a blessing to so many others. So, Father, we do not question your wisdom or your decisions, for you have called him into the place where he wants to be. But, Father, please minister to those who are left behind. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Find a hymnal, please, and turn to number 640. Kevin had a list of hymns that he had made in the back of his hymnal. He had a copy of our church hymnal, took it home, used that as part of his devotional time, and he made a list of hymns. And we selected two of that list that we'll be singing in the service today. And um, others were perhaps uh, included in the prelude music. But um, these were chosen because uh, Kevin chose these hymns. So after we sing this hymn, we will ask uh, Ryan and Seth to come and give us some personal reflections. And I believe Ryan has some also for Kara. So we'll do that after we sing. But let's stand now and sing together. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide.
thank you all for being here. I'd like to read you some of the words provided by others who knew and loved my dad, and then briefly close with a couple thoughts of my own. A friend of dad's from Illinois wrote to my mom the following. I've always known Kevin from very young in the neighborhood, then grade school. So many memories. He was quiet, calm, wise, talented in art, and had a great sense of humor. We thought you were perfect for each other. May you be comforted in knowing he has met Jesus as Savior. End quote. A close work associate wrote, quote, Kevin was amazing. He's been my friend more than half my life. He was an amazing person, the only friend I've never disagreed with. I'd have followed him to the end of the earth, because whatever it was, I know he was right about it. End quote. A friend of the family wrote to my mom, quote, I grieve for you because the loss is severe. No matter the hope of reunion someday, I put myself in your place, and my life would, have, would be ravaged, like a dinghy caught in raging waves. But God, he lives in the surging water, pilots the rudder, breathes in the blustering wind, and breaks through the clouds like the arching sun. He is with you, hold fast. He promises comfort when we mourn. Wait for it, look for it. He is the God of time and renewal, and you are his, end quote. My sister Kara wrote the following, quote, I have so many thoughts about my dad to arrange them in them all into proper paragraphs would take up too much time, so I thought I'd share the bullet points I initially jotted down about him as they came to my mind. My dad was incredibly patient, genuinely loving, tender and compassionate, a strong, reliable presence, brave, hardworking, methodical and meticulous, honest and genuine, loving towards animals, all kinds, the cat man, calm and steady, Invested in his children, selfless, loyal, generous, always willing to give, wise and thoughtful, intelligent, disciplined, the best father, witty, funny, understanding, a good listener, talented, moderate and modest, ne never excessive, so attentive to his wife, godly, a servant, a faithful Christian, dependable, the best person to laugh with, always learning, consistent, warm, and safe. In fact, when I think of my childhood, the word safe always comes to mind. My parents, never cre uh, my parents created a stable home, never a place I remember wanting to escape from. In all honesty, I never once witnessed or even overheard my parents fighting. Even if they disagreed, there was always a gentleness and respect between them. My memories of home and early life are warm, hazy scenes of comfort and stability. Even after a long day at the office, my dad was always there to play with my brother and me, to give us rides on his back all over the living room, to help us with our homework, and to read us bedtime stories as we drifted off to sleep, and so did he. Throughout the years, he was a reliable source of wisdom, advice, and godly example. He always felt like a kindred spirit, a quiet, thoughtful soul, a perfectionist, a sarcastically funny person to share a laugh with. We had the same frustrations, sinful or not. I often felt like a female version of him, only with more hang-ups and neuroticisms weighing me down and not nearly as sanctified. I was proud to say I was like him and never ashamed to call him my dad. He weathered my petulant and embarrassing teen years like a champ and saw me into adulthood with a loving patience that seemed unparalleled. He accepted my husband into the family and continued to help provide for us as we struggled to make ends meet. I remember my mom recounting the story of how he broke down in tears as he described his gratefulness for being able to help me out with even the simplest of tasks, like hanging picture frames at her starter house in his characteristically methodical way. When the grandchildren came, his joy bubbled forth. His patience in entertaining and nurturing them was humbling to me. He seemed a better grandfather than I could ever be a mother. What sticks out especially is his love for my own mother. He took care of her with an almost inhuman consistency. It was his joy to be her husband. It wasn't a duty, it was an honor. They adored each other, never wanting to escape from each other, and had a mutual understanding of life. My dad was the type of man my mom could never have disrespect for. She didn't have to work on respecting him. It was just there. He earned it. And it was there to the very end, along with the love they shared through almost 39 years of marriage. 
Sometimes I don't know how I can go on in a world without my dad. I know he, he is with Jesus now, but in a way he is still with me in my thoughts, my memories, my heart, and my DNA, in my brother, in my children, in my nephew, and the stories of him that we'll tell for the rest of our lives. I don't know if my dad can see me now, but I want to be the type of person he would be proud of. I want to live as if he was tenderly watching over me in his own distinctive, patient way until the moment I can lock eyes with him again, smile, and give, a, give him the biggest hug, end quote. Now for my quote, and I'll be brief. Um, from, <laughs> from an early age when growing up in Lansing, Illinois, my dad made evident his strong work ethic, be it by long days of grueling work on his uncle's farm or by a studious pursuit of knowledge on topics that made his mind tick. For example, as a child, he excitedly disassembled radios and other electronic devices and then rebuilt them. Also apparent was his sense of play, from wild dirt bike rides through a quarry with his cousins and friends, to his knack for drawing cartoons and caricatures of friends and family, to the time he installed speakers out in the woods behind his childhood home so he could make spooky sounds through a microphone in order to prank his sister Barb and her new boyfriend while they were outside, while my dad hid safely inside the house. He displayed love for his parents and his beloved Beagle Holly. As a man, my dad's work ethic and pursuit of knowledge provided him with an education culminating in a master's degree and a continual passion for reading. He obtained an understanding of electronics, software, as well as Christian doctrine and apologetics that reached to a level of significant depth. His playful nature evolved into a gleeful dedication to reserving time to play with my sister and me and his pet cats, and ultimately his grandchildren, who'd always make him beam from ear to ear. His love flourished into a consistent display of loving kindness to my mom, us, and others that was so impactful, I believe it will continue to resonate for generations. I respected my dad more than any other man on earth. No one else came close. He had no concern for material possessions unless they had utility. I'm thankful I got the opportunity to know him professionally as well as we are on the same team at work. I still can't fathom that he's gone from this world, but he isn't, not completely. I see glimpses of him in my son and in his other grandchildren and in myself daily, for which I couldn't be more proud. And in the beautiful influence of love, he provided my mom and us and others over the years. You were a great dad such an example. I love you, Pops. Uh, my speech will uh, reflect very similarly on to what Ryan had said. When I first met my father-in-law in 2004, I was rather intimidated by him. He was very quiet and serious looking. That's because I didn't understand what kind of man he really was, a godly man, who was slow to speak and quick to listen, a man full of biblical and practical knowledge. He was very faithful to his family and church, that much I had figured out early on. Kevin's protectiveness over his family led to occasional disagreements between him and I. Some of these disagreements stemmed from his desire that his daughter was guarded spiritually. Others involved the idea of financial stability. As the years passed and I wouldn't leave his daughter's side, I asked for her hand in marriage. Kevin, being the excellent protector and provider, came up with two stipulations. Firstly, we had to have a place of our own which God provided. Secondly, I had to have health insurance for his daughter and for myself. God provided that as well. I married Kara in June of 2012. Kevin gave away his only daughter gracefully and happily. He was now dad coy to me. I was now one of the family. He trusted me. Before giving his daughter away, he expressed how much he appreciated my parents and couldn't imagine better in-laws for her. Over the years, I grew up to appreciate him even more. Kevin had a great patience and wisdom about him. Though a quiet man, if asked about something, he seemed to know more than anybody else in the room. He was a scholar of the word, and it showed in every aspect of his life. 
A distinct conversation I had with Kevin, which I should have already understood since my dad was a pastor, was about the biblical doctrine of imputation, which I still hadn't quite grasped. He said that because Adam sinned, that sin was imparted to us, just as those who are in Christ had his righteousness imputed unto them. I saw the patience of a saint, which Kevin is. It was evident with his children and myself. When we let him down, he wasn't angry, only disappointed, like a good father. He would come alongside us with patience and wisdom, never yelling or holding our mistakes over our heads. Kevin was always a very punctual and organized man, more organized than my own father, which I thought was impossible. He was so tender and gentle with his beloved wife, he once told me that he wouldn't rush her or honk the horn to get her to hurry up like his father-in-law did, though an equally godly man had a habit of doing very often. Kevin loved taking care of Bonnie and his family. I never once heard him complain about helping his wife or his children out. My favorite thing to see was his love for his grandchildren. He would sit for hours playing with Legos or puppets with Milo. If he was ever tired of it, it never showed. He was a gentle giant with his grandchildren. He loved to hold the babies and play with, with them when they became toddlers and would grin ear to ear when he saw them. His continued prayer was that they would come to know Jesus as well. Thank you, as my uh, son Milo titled him, Pakoy, for being an exemplary husband, father, and grandfather. You are truly a man of God. Thank you. You are probably aware of the fact that there are some people who were unable to be here today uh, because of job conflicts. Some just couldn't bring themselves emotionally to be here. But one in particular to make mention of was Larry Persons, who wanted to be here but is in Bangkok, Thailand, and his heart is here even though his body isn't. I've had the opportunity in the few moments I've been seated here on this platform to look across this congregation and to make some observations. Uh, that was my intention at the outset, to look at each one of you, to evaluate based on your countenance and your demeanor, trying to determine whether you had common sense. And I think I can say with great clarity and assurance as far as I can tell, everyone in this congregation has a measure of common sense. You seem to radiate that. And because you have common sense, you know, you know instinctively that it is improper to eavesdrop on people's conversations. It's not only rude, but it's unethical. Should you ever find yourself walking into a situation when a husband and wife, for example, are talking about personal issues, the proper thing to do is to quietly back up and walk away from the situation, not to embarrass them. And should, circumstantially, you happen to overhear a husband and wife talking about personal matters under no circumstances, would anyone with common sense ever blabber that to other people? What you heard in confidence is to be kept that way. Now, I said at the outset, I think that all of you have common sense this afternoon. I do not. So I am going to tell you some personal issues that occurred between Kevin and Bonnie just a couple weeks ago. Two conversations. Bonnie had asked Kevin if he would take her once again on a cruise. They had gone on cruises before, and it was a great delight to them. In fact, there was even recent conversations about maybe traveling to Israel to see all the holy sites, or the possibility of going to the Grand Canyon with one of these Christian tour groups. Do you know what Kevin responded? He said, 
I don't have a bucket list, meaning he didn't have any particular place he wanted to view, with the exception of heaven itself. Who would have thought that in a couple weeks the Lord would have granted him that privilege of seeing that? Now there was a second conversation. Bonnie posed this hypothetical question to her husband. She said, what if the Lord were to providentially give to us a large amount of money unexpectedly? What do you think you would do with that? She asked Kevin. And then she posed the possibilities. Do you think you might buy a boat or a motorcycle? And his response was, no, if I had a large amount of money that came unexpectedly, he said, I would give it away to needy people. And now, now you know why Bonnie, Ryan, and Kara have always loved and will always love this one named Kevin Coy. More than just a father, but a godly example. Now, the quotations that Ryan read from family and friends, report by Seth, were talking about Kevin's life up to this point, things that have happened in the past. For the scripture reading this afternoon, I would like to read seven unrelated texts from scripture. They have the common theme. These portions that I am about to read for your benefit tells you exactly what Kevin Coy is doing at this precise moment and what he will be doing for all eternity. The first text comes from Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet, looking forward down through the corridors of time to the coming of Christ, the Messiah. Here was the statement. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. You will behold a far distant land. Jesus talking about the coming day of judgment, said in Matthew 25, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In John chapter 12, Jesus once again said, If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall my servant be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. From the epistle of Jude, now to him, referring to the Father, now to him, who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. In the book of Revelation, John the Apostle writes these words, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, Christ, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. They are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. Revelation 5, and every created being which is in heaven, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory 
and dominion forever and ever. And Jesus Christ made this promise. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. Don't you feel sorry for Kevin Coy, the fact that he died prematurely, as we think, statistically. No, no, the Lord honored his request. His bucket list reached its fulfillment. He entered into the presence of the one who has always from eternity loved him and will always love him for future eternity. Aren't you glad? Aren't you envious? Aren't you thankful? Let's bow for prayer. Father, as human beings, we often are short-sighted. We think that reality is all that we see and touch here on planet Earth. Remind us that there is another realm, a spiritual realm, a realm that is perfect. And Father, you've been pleased by your sweet grace to call Kevin to yourself. Thank you for this wonderful salvation you made for sinners. Thank you for that unashamed love that you have for your people. Thank you that you always have, from eternity past to eternity future, dealt with those people according to your grace. We appreciate that so very much today. Remind us, each one of us here today, of our own relationship to you. Turn our eyes to the Savior, we pray. Amen.
I can see your sympathy, I doubt myself, but I'm sure of your love. Lavish grace was poured out at Calvary, securing me for my home God give all of us hearts that gladly amen the words of that song. Well, a number of things have been said about Kevin and they've all been right on target. I will just mention that two phrases came to my mind as I was thinking about how I would describe him from my personal experience over the years. And I would say that he was, number one, a prince of a man, and number two, a Christian gentleman. He was a prince of a man. When we think of a prince, we think of someone who is noble. We think of someone who, in the eyes of society, is elevated. And we hope that we would think of someone who is honorable. Princes ought to be honorable and Many times they are, though sometimes they are not in this fallen world. But in my estimation, Kevin really was a prince of a man. He was all of those things. But beyond that, he was a Christian gentleman. He was certainly a gentleman, polite, soft-spoken, a gentleman in every way, but he was a Christian gentleman, and that's even more important He evidenced the fruit of the Spirit in his life. He evidenced a quiet godliness that just permeated his presence and was known to those who knew him. He loved his wife, oh how he loved his wife, and his family, and his church, and his Bible, which he studied faithfully, and above everything else he loved his Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had saved him and made him a child of the King. My mind went to Philippians chapter 1 as I was thinking about possible text for today. These words of the Apostle Paul came to my mind, where he said, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labors, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. This is a wonderful statement by the Apostle Paul and guided by the Holy Spirit in what he said. His declaration in verse 21 is one that all of us should embrace and ask God to help us to live up to. When Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
He was telling us that his life was lived for Christ. That was his purpose in life. That was his goal in life. That was his endeavor every day when he got up in the morning was that this would be a day when he would live for Christ and when that would be evident to others and more importantly that that would be known to his Savior that he had lived that day for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he says, I, for me to live is Christ, he was telling us that he was living for the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was also telling us that the life which he lived was by Christ. For to me to live is Christ. For me to live is by the power of Christ. For me to live is by the love of Christ. It is by the grace of Christ. It is because of what Christ has done and is doing in my life that I'm able to live the way I do. For to me, to live is Christ. But then he went on to say, and to die is gain. I wonder how many of us think of it that way. Living is wonderful. God has given life to all of us who are here today. And to many of us, I would would be glad to know that it was to all of us that he has also given eternal life, but it would be unlikely that that would be true in a gathering of this size. But the life that you have, the breath that you breathe, the thoughts that you are able to think, the movements that you are able to make, the job that you are able to pursue, the relationships which you have is all because God has given that to you, and life is a wonderful thing, and God gives life to people, and he gives to us the desire to live the life that he has given. But many don't agree with Paul on that second statement. To die is gain. But that is true for those who know the Lord and who know the truth of God's word, know the truth of these texts that Pastor Harmon read to us a moment ago. To die is truly gain for the child of God. It's a great loss for those who don't know the Lord. Oh, what a great loss it is. But for those who are in Christ, to those who have new life in Christ, to those who have been joined to Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, to die is just simply to be brought up into the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to leave so many things behind that were troublesome to us even during the the times when we were on earth and enjoyed life in all of its delights nevertheless we also struggled with the trials of life didn't we and we do I don't put that in the past though it is in the past for our brother Kevin but we struggle we struggle with the infirmities of the flesh I think I could say without fear of of being wrong that every single person who is here today has some physical infirmity that bothers you. I don't know what it is. It's different for all of us, but we all have them. We struggle with those things. We struggle with broken relationships that are very painful. We struggle sometimes with financial problems, and on and on it goes, the struggles of life. But you see, when a child of God dies, he leaves all that behind. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more struggle, no more remaining sin to battle against. No more trials and difficulties of any kind. All of that's behind and now forever with the Lord. Yes, indeed, for me to live is Christ and to die. If I'm in Christ, to die is gain. But Paul also, in addition to this declaration of his faith, when he said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, he also presented the dilemma. And I won't read through those verses again, but basically what he said was, I'm torn between two desires. On the one hand, I desire to be with the Lord. And he said, that's far better. I'd rather be there than here. He must have known something that not everybody knows, but yes. To die and be with Christ is far better. And I would, I would choose that except... My going to be with the Lord means that there are people behind that I have been helping and ministering to and praying for and guiding and who look to me for help and strength and I won't be here to help them anymore. 
And so I know that to stay would be better for you, he writes to the Philippian church, because so many of you have learned to receive the truth of God from my lips and have watched the example of my life and have learned to live for Christ by watching that example. And many of you have prayed for me as I have journeyed from place to place and preached the gospel and seen people by the work of God's Spirit come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and have seen churches planted in this world in many places. And the longer I live upon the earth, the more of that I'll be able to do. The more people I'll preach to, the more Christians I'll strengthen, the more churches I shall be able to found. Yes, to stay upon the earth is really better for you, but oh, my heart is someplace else. I'd long to be with Christ, which is far better. And that spoken by the Apostle Paul was also evidently words that could have been spoken by our departed brother, Kevin Coy. He exemplified all of that so beautifully. But the question is, what what brought about those kinds of thoughts in the mind of Paul or in the mind of Kevin or in the mind of many of you where you understand that it really is better to die and to be with the Lord. How does that come about? How does one become a Christian, in other words? And it comes about, as we know, by a work of God's Spirit. And we could just put a period there and and say amen, and yet I think that needs a little further explanation. What does God's Spirit do to bring a man or a woman or a young person to, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Well, I think the first thing that he does is to impress upon the heart of that person that there is indeed a God. There are a lot of people in this world that aren't too sure of that. At least that's what they say. When I read Romans chapter 1, I wonder how true that really is because it seems to me that the Bible is telling us that deep down within the heart of every man, he knows that there's a God. And yet it's also evident that there are a lot of people who deny it openly to others and who certainly don't want to think so and maybe perhaps have convinced themselves that there is no God. Well, no one's going to be in heaven who doesn't believe in God. I don't see how anyone can live in this world without believing in God. I've mentioned this in our own congregation recently and I didn't bring the pen with me today, but I think it was last Sunday I pulled a pen out of my pocket that had been made by a man in my church who's now with the Lord beautiful pen. And I took that pen to South Africa with me many years ago and was invited to speak to a class of, of a grade school students, kindergarten through sixth grade, and they all filed in. They actually have chapels there, at least they did 10 or 15 years ago, and had preachers come in and preach to the students. And we think America is more advanced than South Africa. Sometimes we would have to view that perhaps with, with, different, with different eyes. But anyway, they all filed in quietly, orderly, obediently, no one talking, no one hitting his neighbor. They all sat down in perfect order on the floor of the gymnasium, a thousand of them. And I had wondered, what am I going to say to, to uh, students who are anywhere from 5 to 12 years of age? I, I don't do a lot of preaching to that age group, you know. And uh, when I was thinking about that, I remembered that pen that Doug Shropshire had so skillfully constructed. For He made a lot of them, and he gave one to me. So I, I said, I think I'm going to try this. So I held up that pen, and I said to those students, um, where do you think this pen came from? I said, would you believe me if I told you I was walking in the woods one day, and all of a sudden a storm came up, and lightning struck the tree in front of me and it just shattered into a thousand pieces on the ground and I rummaged around in those pieces and I picked up this pen it just happened would anyone believe that that that's what happened if I told you that not a single one raised their hand I said but if I told you that somebody made this pen how many of you would believe that every hand went up it's so simple if there is a pen somewhere, there's a pen maker. Now, they didn't know who the pen was, who the pen maker was. It, I knew it was Doug Shropshire because 
he was a member of our church. But the fact that the pen exists shouts, pen maker. The fact that this universe exists with all of its complexity, all of its wonder, all of the moving parts, the billions and billions and billions of moving parts that all work together that bring about the animal life we see and the human life we see and the beautiful, beautiful mountains and rivers that we see and look out into space and see the order and are amazed at what is there and to think all of this just happened by chance it just came about by an explosion a big bang in the universe millions billions of years ago my problem is I don't have enough faith to be an atheist (laughs) it justifies logic and against every skeptical inclination which we have at times the work of God's Holy Spirit in the heart convinces us there is a God there has to be a God and if there is a God who made this then there's a God who has the right to rule what he made and therefore there is a God who has a right to hold me accountable to his standards and to judge me someday for how well I have obeyed what he has told me. And there was a time when the Spirit of God impressed that truth upon Kevin's heart. The Spirit of God also has to convince a person that he is a sinner. That's hard for us to to come to grips with sometimes. What, me a sinner? I'm a good person. I heard the testimony. We heard it here Sunday night. Uh, with a missionary from France who was here and was telling us the testimonies of some of the people that have been saved in his ministry in Paris. Wonderful testimonies. They thrilled my soul. He talked about one young lady who said, before I came to this church, I used to think of myself as a good person. I came here and found out I'm a bad person, (laughs) a sinner who needs to be saved. And she said, I'm so glad that I learned the truth because... I also learned the gospel, and that's what the Holy Spirit teaches us. That though we are sinners, Christ came to die for sinners. Christ came to save sinners. As long as we think of ourselves as good, there's no salvation. Christ didn't come for the righteous. There actually aren't any, but there are people who think they are. Nothing for them. As long as you think you're righteous, as long as you think you're good enough in yourself, there's nothing of heaven for you but oh dear friend if you come to realize I am indeed a sinner and I cannot save myself I cannot do enough good things to merit salvation but oh I have learned that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life the spirit of God impressed that upon Kevin's heart many years ago and that's why he is a Christian gentleman in closing we're going to sing the words of the hymn on page 342 one of the hymns that Kevin picked out Let me just quickly read through the words before we sing them. Sometimes I'm afraid we sing songs without even thinking of the words. But the words have meaning and need to be considered. When this passing world is done, it will be for all of us, sooner or later. It came sooner to Kevin than anyone anticipated. But when this passing world is done, when has sunk yon radiant sun... When I stand with Christ on high, that's what comes next, if you're a Christian, after this passing world is done. When I stand with Christ on high, looking o'er life's history, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty, not my own, nobody gets there by their righteousness, When I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, 
how much I owe. Chosen not for good in me, wakened up from wrath to flee. Hidden in the Savior's side by the Spirit sanctified, teach me, Lord, on earth to show by my love how much I owe. I think Kevin was doing that. Oft I walk beneath a cloud, dark as midnight's gloomy shroud. But when fear is at its height, Jesus comes, and all is light. Blessed Jesus, bid me show doubting saints how much I owe. When the praise of heaven I hear, loud as thunders to the ear, loud as many waters noise, sweet as harps melodious voice, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. I hope you can sing that with a grateful and believing heart. Let's stand together as we sing it in closing. Amen.